welcome uh, to the pulpit this morning, Dan Sered. Well, shalom, everybody. Come on, you got to do better than that for me. Let's try this again. Shalom, everybody. Wow, this was such a moving and um, really emotional um, introduction. Um, I've known, those of us who are in Jewish ministry, have known that there was uh, definitely a gospel witness to, to our people um, in, um, in Poland and, and in Europe during the Holocaust, during World War II. I've got some family that was lost in Auschwitz in Poland. And just to hear this story and the commitment that Grace Baptist um, has had and has today to reach my Jewish people with the gospel is just um, absolutely really emotional and moving. So that's really um, amazing. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving um, Jewish people and loving people um, in general to have this mission conference, to have so many missionaries um, that are a part of grace in, um, in our desire to follow the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations. And I'm so proud to be a part of that group of missionaries, to be your extended family. So thank you so much for that. Um, so like Pastor Dean mentioned, um, I serve with Jews for Jesus, and um, Jews for Jesus is a ministry that um, we relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. That's, that's our goal. We just want to come alongside what God is doing among our Jewish people, and we want to um, be there and share with them and make disciples Jewish people are mostly unreached with the gospel. And Jews for Jesus, we are um, celebrating our 50th. We're not quite as old as Grace Baptist Church is, but we're so excited about our 50th anniversary. That is our jubilee. And um, let me show you a brief video about that. Jews for Jesus started as a slogan, but by 1973, it had officially
Amen. Amen. We are very excited about this year of Jubilee because it, and our prayer and our hope that it would serve to continue in our mission, in um, you know, fulfilling the Great Commission. And just outside um, of the sanctuary here, I've got a, a table with some more information about um, the year of Jubilee. These are all free stuff, so please feel free um, to take some of these. And uh, we hope that you would partner with us um, in prayer and in, in, in continued support and partnership as we um, celebrate this year of Jubilee, but also as we continue to preach and bring the gospel um, to our people. As um, your missionary um, to Jewish people around the world, um, my family and I, we need your prayers. If you got your um, cell phones, you can take those out. You can um, go ahead and scan that QR code. And uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to our prayer newsletter. Also inside your mission conference a bulletin this morning, there is this card. You can also fill this out. You can do um, the old-fashioned way, you know, with pen and paper and kind of fill this out. Or you can do it online. And if you do use this card, you can also, the top portion of the card is kind of like um, another prayer reminder for you. You can keep this in your Bible, and uh, maybe this will um, remind you to pray for us as your missionaries. This card, if you fill it out, you can just um, hand it over to me or leave it on my table, just, um, um, just outside of the sanctuary. Also on my table, I've got this magnet, um, again, a prayer reminder, would you remember to pray for our, for our family, for our missionaries, for Jewish people across the world to, to come to know Messiah Jesus? Last night I shared that some of the most unreached among our Jewish people are the ultra-Orthodox Jews, the Haredim, ultra-Orthodox Jews. And on my table I've got this book, um, which is a prayer journey, a prayer journal, really, um, about them um, praying for these most unreached, unengaged um, people among Jewish people, the Orthodox Jews. Um, this book also will give you a lot more information about them so that you can learn and more effectively pray for them. Um, we need you to pray for ultra-Orthodox Jews to come to know the Lord. In Jews for Jesus, we are so... Am grateful to God. We praise Him so much for giving us 50 years of ministry. And I want you to know that we couldn't do it without you and without our partnership together. So I want to thank Pastor Dean for your leadership of Grace Baptist, and for Ray and his leadership of the Missions Committee, and all of you elders and leaders here and, and congregants here at Grace Baptist Church. Thank you so much for your partnership with us in the gospel. You know, the theme for this mission conference, of course, is hope for the future. And as we in Jews for Jesus, as we are in our year of Jubilee, as we're celebrating our 50 years of ministry, we are um, definitely um, celebrating what God has done in the past, but we're also looking towards the future. And we know that we have, we have hope for the future no matter what is happening currently um, in, in our presence, in our present. And we have hope for the future, no matter what is happening in the world, in politics, in the war in Ukraine, whatever, whatever is happening, we have hope because of Jesus. And that hope that we have 
knowing that Jesus is the only solution, that hope that we have compels us, propels us to share the gospel. Jesus being our future hope, our hope for the future is really the essence of missions. You know, the greatest Jews for Jesus missionary that ever lived was no doubt the Apostle Paul. Now, obviously, I'm half joking here, right? Because Jews for Jesus wasn't in existence, but Paul was a Jewish person who was for Jesus, and definitely he was a missionary, and we all know his impact for Christ. Now, Paul had to pay a great price for believing in Jesus, for following Jesus, for serving Jesus. But Paul was willing to pay that price because he knew that Jesus and the gospel is the only hope for humanity. It's the only hope that humanity has for the future. And Paul summarized it, I think, perfectly in one verse in a way that both explains his reason for devoting his life to the Lord's service, for being a missionary, and also at the, same, at the same time challenging us to do the same. If you got your Bibles, and would you please open your Bibles um, to Philippians chapter 1, or for some of you, you can turn on your Bibles, that's okay, on your smartphone to Philippians chapter 1. Now, when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, probably around um, 62 AD, he was in prison. He was chained to a Roman guard. Now, the overall theme of this letter is one of joy and encouragement to the church, even though Paul was in the midst of paying the cost for following um, Jesus, for following the Lord. Paul was definitely suffering for his faith. Yet here in this letter, we find a concise summary in one verse for the real meaning of life as well as death to a Christian and the very important personal choice that makes it all possible. Here we find why Paul is living the way that he's living, serving Jesus and giving Jesus all he got. In this verse, Paul not only explains why it is worth any cost to follow Christ, but also the future hope that is found in Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. That was Paul's commitment, that God would be glorified and the gospel of Christ spread through everything that happened in his life. He summarizes that commitment here in a very succinct way by saying, for to me to live is Christ. That's a good summary. He says, the bottom line for me is that to live here on this earth means that I get to further the cause of Jesus through whatever ability I have, through whatever happens in my life. To live is Christ. How much can I praise him? How many people can I share him with? And how can I further his kingdom and glory with my life? Paul says, my whole life is measured not by what other people may call success, but by what I am able to do for Christ while I'm here. To live is Christ. 
not long ago around a Super Bowl time, and I ran into a story about some of the radical fans of different NFL teams. In that, um, in that, in, in that article, they interviewed a young man who was a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers. You know, the guy with the big cheese head? That's right, yeah. Now, in the course of, of his conversation with the interviewer, this is what this young man said. It really surprised me. He said, I live for the Green Bay Packers. He said, if it promotes the Green Bay Packers in the world, I'll do it. If it doesn't promote the Green Bay Packers, I won't do it. For me, the question in everything is always, does this promote the cause of the Green Bay Packers? When I read that, I thought, wow. They didn't even make the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, wow. But, but I, I, I also really appreciated this young man's commitment. He was committed to the wrong thing. We don't live our lives for sports. We are to live for Christ. But what we can't do again is, is take that commitment this young man had for the Green Bay Packers and apply it to the only thing that really matters eternally. Apply it to our own lives in Christ. As Christ's disciples, our question with every activity we participate in and every decision we make should be, does this activity further the cause of Christ? If it furthers Christ, I'll do it. If it doesn't further Christ, I will not do it. In any decision we make in life, our single most important criteria should be, does this help the cause of Christ? If it does, we'll do it. If it doesn't, we won't do it. Because for us, to live is Christ. We make our decisions by whether it benefits Him and advances His kingdom. It's not do I want to do this? It's not, does it make me money? It's not, does it make me feel good? It's not, do other people want me to do it? Or um, is everyone else doing it? No. The question for us is, does this further the kingdom of Christ in the world? That is the way we are to make our decisions in the world as Christians. Because like Paul, for us, to live is Christ. The reason God has us alive here on this earth is to glorify and serve Him. We need to remember that. We are alive because God has a purpose for us. Now, we may not be alive in as dramatic a fashion as Paul or as other missionaries, but we are alive nonetheless. God has seen fit in His providence to keep us alive. So we need to ask ourselves, for what purpose has God kept me here alive in the 21st century here in the United States? Why am I here? What is his purpose? The short answer to this question is right here in this verse, to live as Christ. God has not, giving, has not given us our life for something as shallow as following our heart or chasing our dreams. He has not spared us so that we can waste Endless days watching TV, playing games, and seeking entertainment. He gave us this life to glorify Him, to live for Christ. That is what we are to live for. Not to make a name for ourselves, to spread um, the fame of our favorite sports team, or, or even our church, 
or any other cause. But God has given us this life to glorify him by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of life. That is what God has you here for. Your goal is to do that the best way you can with the particular gifts and abilities that God has given you. Make no mistake, your purpose in life is to further the name and kingdom of Jesus Christ. To be able to say, for me to live is Christ. So Paul says his life is all about living for Jesus. So that he can say to me to live is Christ. But he also says, and to die is gain. Now, to a lot of people, that sounds even more odd than to live is Christ. Someone might think, okay, well, maybe to you, to live could be Christ, but to say to die is to gain, now that's a different thing altogether. Not too many people really think that way. Most people think of death as the worst possible thing that can happen to anyone. But Paul says, no. To die is gain. Now, the word gain here is the Greek Bible word kerdos, which means profit. In the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, Jesus says the slaves invested, invested their master's money and they made a profit with his money. That is the word that is used here in our verse. It's a business word. It means to make a profit. So Paul is saying here, hey, death is not something I'm afraid of. He says, I will actually profit if I die. It will be better for me if I die than if I live. In fact, Paul elaborates on that in the next verses of the same passage where he talks about the tension between um, would he rather stay here and continue serving or if it would be better for him to die. And he says in verse 23, um, I have the desire to depart from this life and be with Christ, for that is very much better. We need to look closely at this expression, very much better, because it is incredibly strong. It stacks two adjectives and an adverb right on top of each other, very much better. The first word um, in Greek is polo, means Many, much, a multitude. The second word there is malone, means more than, better, rather than something else. And the last, third word, word is the word christen, meaning better, stronger, more excellent. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, just stacks these three um, comparatives one on top of the other, to just emphasize this. To die and be with Christ is a multitude more excellent, better than life. Palon Malon Christian, much more better to die than to live here on this earth. He says it is a gain, it is a profit for him. That's the Christian attitude towards death. And honestly, I don't think most people have this attitude. It goes against our natural inclination. And God has instilled within mankind a powerful desire to live. And that is good. That is a great thing. 
But our faith in God's word tells us that there is something much more better waiting for the Christian person after death than anything we know here on earth. And that something that is so much better is God himself. Notice that Paul doesn't just say, I want to die and go to heaven because that is so much more better. He doesn't say, I want to go to see the streets of gold or the pearly gates because that is much better. He doesn't say, I want to go and ride this beautiful horse in this green pasture, you know, and because that is so much better. Or I want to go and play that perfect game of golf, you know, in the sky because that is much more better. He says, I want to depart and be with Christ, for that is much more better. See, it is Jesus himself who is the goal. It is the Lord who makes heaven much more better. This goes back to the very heart of the gospel, that God made us specifically for himself. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. Just like a solar-powered machine is designed to run off of the sun, so we were made to be empowered by the glory of the face of God. But we ruined that. We did when we sinned against God. And a shadow fell across our relationship with him that cuts us off from him and his glory. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what this verse means. That by our sin, we separated ourselves from the glory of God that we were made to thrive off of. But God still loved us. Even though we sinned, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. So now if we'll repent of our sins and come back to him and ask him for his forgiveness, we can be forgiven and know the glory of God again. We can begin to taste that glory now in our personal worship and and in our corporate worship. And then when we die or when Jesus returns, we will bask in his presence of his glory forever, with no sin, with nothing to hinder us from all the blessings of his glory face to face. That's what David is talking about in Psalm 17, 15, when he says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. David says, One day, When I awake in heaven, I am going to be satisfied with your, with God's likeness. He says, I will be fully satisfied by the glory of the face of God. He says in Psalm 16, 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. The glory of the face of God himself is what is waiting for us in heaven. And Paul says that glory and pleasure and joy will be much more better than anything we've ever experienced here on earth. You know, sometimes God gives departing loved ones an early glimpse of it. When, when the great Puritan pastor Samuel Rutherford was dying, his final words as he approached heaven were, glory, glory, 
dwelleth in the Emmanuel's land. As C.S. Lewis said, there are better things ahead than any we leave behind. Richard Baxter, another Puritan pastor who wrote an amazing book on heaven, said he believed that every Christian should spend at least 30 minutes a day meditating on heaven, that it would totally change our attitude on life, on our trials and our departed loved ones, how we spend our time, and so much more. We need to learn to really believe like Paul did, that as a Christian, to die is gain. It is much more better. That is, of course, our hope for the future. And because of that, that propels us and compels us to share the gospel because we have heaven awaiting us. To die is gain. It is much more better. That is our hope for the future. Now, sometimes the smallest words have the biggest impact, and that is true here. Paul says here that this statement is not true for everyone. Look what he says. He says, for all to live is Christ and to die is gain. No, he could have said that, but he doesn't say that. Look what he says. He says, to me, to me. That is true for him. But Paul is saying it's true to me. But he's not saying it's true for everyone. And it's not today true for everyone. It is only true for those who have genuinely committed their lives to Christ and decided to live in this way like Paul did. For one, not everyone can say, for to me to live is Christ. Most people don't live for Christ. So they can't say, you know, to live is Christ. They aren't spending um, their lives advancing his kingdom in the world. They're not telling anybody about him. For them, to live is not Christ. For them to live, maybe it's just themselves, or maybe even their families, their will, their pleasure, maybe their own way. But church, what about you? Is for you to live is Christ. It, certain, it certainly should be. See, this is not true for everyone. This is a personal conscious choice you and I have to make. That, that for us to live is going to be Christ. You have to choose to make Jesus your own personal Lord and Savior and commit your life to follow him. You have to choose that whatever situation or circumstances you come into, you're going to glorify him and that your circumstances are going to be your witness stand for Christ. That is a personal choice you have to make for me. And how many people, even those of us here this morning, really see death as gain? What Paul says here is not true for everyone. It is only true for those who have made the personal decision that for them this will be true. It is a personal decision. For me, he says, for me, that is a personal choice. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is the invitation. Will you make that personal commitment and choice as a, as a Christ disciple that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? You know, I was born and raised in Israel, 
And I was born in a typical Israeli home, secular home. And both my parents are atheists. But even as a young child, I never really bought into their atheism. I, as a, even as a young child, I always believed that God was real. And so each year when we would celebrate the, the Jewish holidays, which are so embedded in the Israeli culture, and I really believed that, that, that the stories and, 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 and the information there that, that we learned about God was real, that God was real. So for example, you know, and the Jewish holiday of Passover is approaching, and each year when we would celebrate the Passover Seder in our home in Israel, and as we recounted the story of the Exodus, and I believed that it was real that God really delivered us out of Egypt and that he did all those miracles and, you know, the ten plagues and so on. And when I started going to the public school system, public school in Israel, there we studied Old Testament scripture, not as fact, but more of, a, of kind of like a book that belongs to us, that we should know some stories that are there. And, you know, reading the Old Testament just increased my faith in God. So I never really bought into my parents' atheism. Now, when I was in ninth grade, my dad's job moved us from Israel to New York. So my mom and I, we moved with him. And so I graduated from high school in New York and on Long Island and started attending Stony Brook University. At Stony Brook University, and I, my major was mathematics. I have a Bachelor of Science in math. And while studying math, I got a job tutoring students who needed extra help. Now, one day I was helping um, this girl with her math homework. And as, as I was helping her, she recognized my accent in English. And she asked me if I was Russian. And I said to her, no, I'm not Russian, I'm Israeli. She lit up. She said, wow, I'm also Jewish. So that was great because we had something in common. So we continued the conversation. And then, then at some point as we're talking, she tells me that she believes in Yeshua. Now, being fluent in Hebrew, right away I recognized the word Yeshua. The word Yeshua is the Hebrew word for salvation. But today in Israel, Yeshua is not a name. Nobody is named Yeshua. So I asked this girl, you believe in Yeshua? Who is Yeshua? And she tells me that it's Jesus. Wow. I was shocked for two reasons. First of all, I never knew that Jesus' real Hebrew name was salvation. Second of all, I never met a Jewish person who believed in Jesus. She was my first one. So naturally, I was curious. So a few days later, we met for lunch. And it was during this lunch that she opened the Old Testament scriptures to me and shared with me prophecies about the Messiah. And then she showed me in the New Testament how Jesus, how Yeshua, fulfilled each and every one of those prophecies. And it all made perfect sense. So praise God, a few days later, I prayed with her to receive the Lord. And two years later, we got married. So praise God for that as well. So when I first came to faith and I told my parents about my faith, you know, and their first reaction was um, kind of confusion. They didn't really know what to do with my faith. It was all very new to them, and they didn't really understand it. So, um, you know, maybe they thought it was kind of like a stage in life. Maybe they thought it was something like puberty something that I would grow out of. 
And, and that was great for me because that gave me a chance to be discipled and to grow in my faith, to get baptized. And, but three months into it, when they realized that my faith was really taking over my, my life and that I was committed to um, share Jesus and to be all I can be for Jesus and to be um, um, a fully devout, um, devout disciple of Jesus. When they understood that commitment, they couldn't accept it. And they started doing everything they could do to try to make me and not believe in Jesus. So what did they do? Well, first of all, they sent me to see an anti-missionary rabbi who was going to try to convince me that Jesus is not the Jewish Messiah. But that failed. Then they said, well, you must be crazy. So they sent me to see a psychologist and a psychiatrist um, to do a psychological evaluation on me because I was nuts. That didn't work either. Then they said, wow, you must be brainwashed. So they brought to our home a specialist in cult, the programming in cults, and, and he was going to try and talk to me, and that, of course, failed as well. So nothing worked. So like many um, Jewish people who come to faith in Jesus, my parents disowned me. And I'll never forget that day when I went to my home to kind of pack my things and, 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 and move out, and my dad was there, and my dad is not a violent man, but he lost it, and he started beating me up, and it was very painful, both physically and emotionally, and for a while, my parents and I had no relationship, and of course, when Dina and I got married, they didn't show up um, to the wedding. You know, um, as a missionary to Jewish people, um, as you know, I've committed my life to share the gospel um, with Jewish people. And I joined Jews for Jesus as a missionary, ministering both in Israel and in the United States. And you know, that's not an easy uh, mission field. Like other Jews for Jesus missionaries, I've been threatened, beat up. One time, Orthodox Jews um, threw stones at us. Another time, um, they came at, with knives at us. That was in Brooklyn. For many of us, and as missionaries, for many of us, there is a price to pay. There is a cost to follow and to serve Jesus. Let me just say, here in the United States, you know, in this culture today, for you to follow Jesus, there's probably going to be a cost that you're going to have to pay to stand for him. And you know, I don't always get it perfect, you won't always get it perfect. You know, my own commitment to Jesus. And I wish I could stand here and tell you, wow, throughout my ministry career of 20 plus years, I've always gotten it right. And I've always been kind of like with this commitment to live as Christ. But the truth is, is that I don't. And you won't either. But that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the grace of God. And the question in all of this, why should we live this way? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why? Is it worth it? Is paying the price, is it worth it? Well, from where I stand, I think it's worth it. A hundred percent. It's worth it. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the invitation. That's the challenge. Not for me, 
but from the Apostle Paul in the Word of God. May we be able to say, church, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for the hope that we have for the future, for Jesus. God, we thank you so much for your word and for examples like the Apostle Paul. And God, I'm convinced that he didn't get it right all the time. And Lord, you know that we don't either. But God, help us right now at the beginning of this missions conference. If we're missionaries or just members here at Grace Baptist or whatever, wherever we are, Lord God, help us. Move on us right now to make this commitment that as for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God, thank you so much for this body, for this, um, for this church, for Grace Baptist Church, for Pastor Dean and his leadership and the other leaders here. God, Father, help us to be delight um, for you in this community and beyond. God, use us. Use our lives. Glorify yourself, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said...